Good morning and welcome to the Proactive IT Cybersecurity Daily number 109. It is Wednesday, April 22nd, 2020. I'm your host, Scott Gumbar, and Fitbit to track COVID-19. This podcast is brought to you by Nuage Tech, a client-focused and security-minded IT consultant based in Central Connecticut. You can visit us at nuagetech.com. That's N-W-A-J-Tech.com. Good morning, happy hump day. Wherever you're listening to this, if you could please like, share, comment, review, tell somebody about it, write a book about it, anything you could do to help us reach more people would be spectacular. And if you're in a HIPAA compliant business, please go to Facebook and in a search type in get HIPAA compliance. We may we may create a LinkedIn sister sister group, um, but I don't know if I really feel like running two groups, so We'll, we'll see. Um, first up in the news, threat post NFL tackle cybersecurity concerns ahead of the 2020 draft day. Researchers weigh in on potential security concerns surrounding the 2020 NFL draft. The NFL draft is slated to start Thursday, like uh, tomorrow. And thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic, it will be the first virtual version of the event ever presented. This raises a few cybersecurity concerns according to researchers and the teams themselves, but the NFL is planning on knocking the security ball straight through the uprights. I think they combined two different sports there. But anyway, um, you may remember some some of the NFL Twitter accounts were hacked just a couple of months ago, so I don't know if they're up to the, up to, up to the challenge here in the NFL, but fans and players alike look forward to draft day every year when clubs choosing based on a preset order ask hopefuls looking to play football on a pro level to join their rosters. This year, club personnel, league staff, and prospects will all participate from home. According to the NFL, individual clubs will submit their picks to the league office via Microsoft Teams. For communications between team personnel, Zoom has been approved for use. And all 58 prospects have been sent a phone and camera set up for broadcast and communication with the league. We have spoken individually to each of the clubs about their setup. A spokesperson for the NFL told ThreatPost, the clubs are ultimately responsible for their communication systems among their staff. We have provided best practices and also ran a successful mock draft draft yesterday. He added that the league is not, dis- the league is not disclosing specific cybersecurity measures, but that at the league level, we are working closely with our tech partners to ensure a smooth operation throughout the three days. Aside from Microsoft Team, those partners include Amazon Web Services for hosting and managing the 100-plus video feeds that will come in from prospects, general managers, and coaches, and Verizon, which is proving or providing mobile phones and general connectivity. The digital footprint is, in other words, prodigious, but the most at-risk aspect of the course is the data involving the draft picks themselves. Researchers pointed out that this year's draft introduces unprecedented new opportunities to steal info as teams move discussions out of tightly closed war rooms and onto online meeting platforms. And it's interesting to me that they chose Zoom. Um, you know, I'm, I met with another security expert today, or yesterday, sorry, and, um, you know, he said the same thing I've been saying about Zoom. Yes, Zoom had its flaws, has its flaws. But it's not something that hasn't been addressed, and it's not something that can't be controlled. And it's like every other platform out there, there's going to be risk. Um, So it doesn't matter if you use Zoom or WebEx or Microsoft Teams or whatever, you're still going to have risk. Um, Moving along, on the Hacker News, researcher discloses four zero-day bugs in IBM's enterprise security software. 
a cybersecurity researcher today, publicly disclosed technical details and proof of concept for four unpatched zero-day vulnerabilities affecting an enterprise security software offered by IBM after the company refused to acknowledge the responsibly submitted disclosure. The affected premium product in question is IBM Data Risk Manager, IDRM, that has been designed to analyze sensitive business information assets of an organization and determine associated risks. Kind of ironic there. According to Pedro Ribeiro from Agile Information Security Firm, IBM Data Risk Manager contains three critical se severity vulnerabilities and a high-impact bug all listed below. And so I'm going to get to that which can be exploited by an unauthenticated attacker reachable over the network and then chained together could also lead to remote code execution as root. Authentication bypass, command injection, insecure default password, and arbitrary file download. Ribeiro successfully tested the flaws against IBM Data Risk Manager version 2.01 and 2.03, which is not the latest version of the software, but believes that also worked for 2.04 to the newest version 2.06 because there is no mention of fixed vulnerabilities in any changelog. IDRM is an enterprise security product that handles very sensitive information. A compromise of such a product might lead to a full-scale company compromise as the tool has credentials to access other security tools. Not to mention it contains information about critical vulnerability, vulnerabilities that affect the company, Ribeiro said. So uh, hopefully IBM takes... Okay, here we go. An IBM An IBM spokesperson told the Hacker News that a process error resulted in an improper response to the researcher who reported this situation to IBM. We have been working on mitigation steps and they will be discussed in a security advisory to be issued. So they say that um, something went wrong with uh, processing the notice from the security researcher and that uh, is why he was not, why he did not receive a response. On hackery.com, hacker returns $25 million after their IP address is exposed. Yesterday, hackery.com reported how a Chinese lending platform named LendF.me, using a lending protocol by DeForce, was hacked, resulting in a loss of $24.36 million worth of Ethereum, Bitcoin, and USD stablecoins. Now, in a shocking twist of events, the entire sum has been returned back by the hacker. The money was returned over the course of two days on April 20th. April, on I'm sorry, on April 20th, 2.79 million dollars was returned. Whereas today, the 21st of April, the remaining 22 million dollars was returned. This revelation comes as a result of examining the flow of transactions on the blockchain. How these events unfolded is no mystery. After the hack, a series of transactions occurred in which a threatening tease reply was issued in return by LendF.me, stating, "Contact us for your better future." Shortly afterward, it can be seen in the image below that the funds were returned due to obvious reasons by the hacker. According to Sergey Kunz, who is the CEO of OneInch.Exchange.com, which was used by the hacker to exchange a certain proportion of the funds, the hacker left behind important metadata, giving away crucial information such as his IP address and the fact that they were using a Mac and a system language to set to U.S. English. Further, the exchange was using its content delivery network, which helped the investigators even further. We got a request from Singapore police, and we were helped, and we were helping DeForce. Based on the request, we delivered the police the IP address and sensitive meta information, which the hacker speeding speeded by using our CDN. The idea was to make pressure as much as possible to the hacker. So a hacker. To conclude, this is definitely something of a rare incident in the cybersecurity community and would send out a precautionary message to other criminals out there. 
Cryptocurrency exchanges have been a long-standing target of cyber attacks due to the high riches associated with them. Nonetheless, administrators should take strong security measures, measures such as trying to place the largest amount possible in cold wallets disconnected from the internet. These could greatly mitigate the potential impacts of such impacts. Now, um, yes, it was returned, but the fact is he did steal it successfully. And if he was a little more careful, may have gotten away with it. So there's some work to be done on the side of the blockchain as well. All right, darkreading.com, work from home exposes already infected machines in 50,000 U.S. organizations. Turns out that many organizations worldwide have unknowingly sent employees to work from home with already infected endpoint devices during the COVID-19 crisis. New findings from security firms Arctic Security and Team Simru show that some 50,000 U.S. organizations had infected devices that have been moved from the relatively safety of the corporate network to home networks in a rush to empty offices amid the pandemic. Our analysis indicates that the employees' computers were already hacked before COVID-19 made the news, but were lying dormant behind four firewalls blocking their ability to go to work on behalf of their threat actors. Laurie Huddenen, senior analyst at Finland-based Arctic Security, said in a statement, now those zombies are outside firewalls connected to the corporate networks via VPNs, which were not designed to prevent malicious communications. Overall, the number of compromised organizations in Europe and U.S. has more than doubled between January and March, the researcher said. And that is the entire article. But so 50,000 organizations had compromised laptops and computers that went home with the employees during the pandemic. So that's that's uh, certainly great news. We have a couple of municipalities attacked. Doppelpammer ransomware hits Los Angeles County City, leaks files. This is on Bleeping Computer. The city of Torrance of Los Angeles metropolitan area, California, has allegedly been attacked by Doppelpammer ransomware, having unencrypted data stolen and devices encrypted. The attackers are demanding a 100 Bitcoin, which is the equivalent of about $690,000, ransom for a decryptor to take down files that have been publicly leaked and to not release more stolen files. City of Torrance is a suburb of Los Angeles located in the South Bay along the Pacific Coast with a population of approximately 150,000 people. In February 2020, Doppelpamer created a site called Doppelleaks that used to publish the stolen data of victims who refused to pay a ransom. In a new update to the site, Doppelpamer has created a page titled City of Torrance, California, containing numerous leaked files, archives, allegedly stolen from the city during the ransomware attack. Based on the names of their archives, this data includes city budget financials, various accounting documents, document scans, and an archive of documents belonging to the city manager. In the past, Doppelpamer has sold stolen data on the dark web and hacker forms to cover some cost of their attacks. In the email to Bleepy Computer, Doppelpamer operators stated that in the attack on March 1st, they released the city's local backups and then de encrypted approximately 150 servers and 500 workstations. As part of the attack, they also claimed to have stolen approximately 200 plus gig files of gigs of files in a text file shared with Bleepy Computer listing all of the keys, all of the files they claim to have stolen. It comes out to 269,123 files throughout 8,067 directories. To receive a decryption key, Doppelpamer is demanding 100 bitcoins, which is approximately 690,000 at current price. In March, local media reported of a cyber attack on the city of Torrance. At that time, the city stated that no public personal data was affected.
Doppelpamer also previously attacked Mexico's Pemex oil. You may remember we talked about that a few months ago, where they demanded a $4.9 million ransom. Bleepit Computer has contacted the city of Torrance to confirm the attack, but has not heard back at this time. And New Orleans, once again in the news, WWLTV.com. New Orleans Parish Assessor's Office hit by ransomware attack. Officials say no personal info lost. It is unclear when the ransomware was discovered and what kind of damage it did to the system. New Orleans, the Orleans Parish Assessor's Office is the latest government agency to be hit with a cyber attack. The agency, which handles property assessments and taxes in the city of New Orleans, said in a statement Friday that it was working with the FBI to investigate the security breach. The Orleans Parish Assessor's Office is working closely with the Federal Bureau of Investigation after our server was breached by ransomware officials said in a statement. No personal or confidential information was stolen due to the multiple levels of authentication in the assessor system, and all office functions will continue as the data critical to the operation of this office is accessible. The office said it would continue to reevaluate homes for the 2021 tax year and that public-facing sections of the assessor's office website would not see any changes. It is unclear when the ransomware was discovered and what kind of damage it did to the system. The city of New Orleans was crippled by the at the end of 2019 by a severe ransomware attack that forced the city to reformat all government computers, delaying all levels of city governance. The state of Louisiana suffered a similar attack which shut down OMV services for several weeks. There is no indication of whether the latest attack was related to either of the previous ones. So, um, on healthcareitnews.com, the title of the show, Scripps Stanford working with Fitbit to assess wearables COVID-19 tracking abilities. We see an enormous opportunity to enhance disease tracking for improved population health during the COVID-19 pandemic, said Scripps Research Translational, Translational Institute's Dr. Eric Topol. Scripps Health and Stanford Medicine have joined with Fitbit for a new study to gauge how well wearable devices can help track, trace, and isolate COVID-19 and other infectious diseases. The Scripps Research Translational Institute recently launched an app-based research program called Detect that can only analyze wearable health data such as activity levels, heart rate, and sleep to more quickly detect viral illnesses caused by coronavirus, influenza, or other infectious diseases. Stanford Healthcare Innovation Lab, meanwhile, recently launched its own COVID-19 wearable study, which is exploring how data collected from wearables like heart rate, skin temperature, and blood oxygen saturation can be used to predict the onset of an infectious disease before symptoms start. With Fitbit, Scripps, and Stanford, other institutions are welcome to join in a consortium, they say, plan to assess how well such device-driven approaches could be scaled up to the public health response to outbreaks like COVID-19. Earlier this year, Scripps published evidence that wearables can predict the onset of flu and similar diseases before symptoms start. The goal of the new consortium is to build on that research with special focus on public health emergencies like this one. Researchers will run many studies independently with findings aggregated and shared across the consortium. Fitbit will help boost consumer awareness and help its customers participate in the effort. It will also donate wearable devices to Scripps, Stanford, and others. Fitbit users can learn to how to participate in the studies through the company's COVID-19 resource hub. It's looking like consumer devices will have a big role to play in any large-scale tracking, track and trace effort to stem the tide of COVID-19. 
This past week, Apple and Google announced plans to develop API-enabled interoperability between iOS and Android products and eventually build Bluetooth-based contact tracing functionality into the respective operating systems to give public health officials better visibility into how coronavirus might be spreading. Fitbit, meanwhile, also rolled out a new feature this week that can connect users to telemedicine services through the partnership with vendor PlushCare. From previously published work, we know that data collected from consumer wearables can significantly improve the prediction of influenza-like illnesses, said Dr. Eric Topol, director of the founder of SRTI, in a statement. We see an enormous opportunity to enhance disease tracking for improved population health during the COVID-19 pandemic and are pleased to join this new consortium to bring value to the research community. By bringing together these and other leaders in scientific research, we hope to rapidly advance science and innovation in the fight against COVID-19 by promoting consumer participation in critical research efforts, supporting frontline healthcare workers and with donated wearable devices, and sharing learnings quickly and openly across research partners, added James Park, co-founder and CEO of Fitbit. So it's an interesting concept. Um, I, you know, I, I, we reported on the Apple and Google thing, and I'd la- I don't know what happened. Google was trying to buy Fitbit. I'm not sure where that is at this point. Um, but it is, you know, there is the, the HIPAA side of things, the concern that health information might get exposed. So I, I'd be curious to see where, where that goes. Um, and speaking of HIPAA, we do have a, a couple of HIPAA breaches to report. Aurora Medical Center Bay Area in Marinette, Wisconsin, is notifying 27,137 patients that some of the protected health information has been exposed as a result of a January 1st, 2020 phishing attack. Several employees responded to the messages and disclosed their email account credentials, which gave the attackers access to their email accounts. The breach was discovered by Medical Center on January 9th, 2020, a password reset was immediately performed to prevent any further account access and the security breach was reported to law enforcement. An internal investigation was launched to determine what information was accessed by the attackers, which revealed emails and attachments in the accounts contained the protected health information of patients. Aurora Medical Center has not received any reports indicating there has been any misuse of patient information, but it was not possible to rule out the data theft. Of course not. A review of the email in the, of the emails in the accounts revealed that they contained a range of PHI. The information varied from, from, from patient to patient and may have included names, first and last names, maiden name, marital status, date of birth, address, email address, telephone number, social security number, medical record numbers, driver's license number, medical device number, passport number, bank account number, health insurance amount, account number, full face f- photograph, admission date, discharge date, and treatment date. Um, you know, just another, like, I, I just don't understand how this continues to happen. Why are we not training our people? And then UPMC Altoona was, has discovered an unauthorized individual has gained access to the email account of one of its physicians and potentially viewed or obtained the PHI of some of its patients. The phishing attack was detected on February 13th, shortly after the email account was compromised. The attacker used the account to send further phishing emails. The investigation did not uncover any evidence of data theft, but unauthorized PHI access could not be ruled out. A forensic investigation revealed the email account contained patient information such as demographic information and limited clinical information. No social security numbers, financial information, or health insurance details were exposed. So at least there wasn't a whole lot of data there, so that's good news. Notification letters were sent to affected individuals on April 10th. The Office of Civil Rights Breach Portal indicates up to 13,911 patients have been affected by the phishing attack. So 
Phishing continues to be the main way into these healthcare organizations. It does not seem to be slowing down at all. Almost every breach I've reported, I think every breach I've reported in the last two weeks has been a phishing attack. So we need to really do better at training, at education, and at mitigation with phishing. That is going to do it for the Proactive IT Cybersecurity Daily. Until tomorrow, stay healthy, stay safe, and stay secure.